We are now going to get into our series, There is a Plan. So get your Bibles ready, open up those notebooks, and get ready to hear a word from God this morning. Well, good morning, Restoration Church. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, just uh, this service right now, we're joined in with our uh, online location and Plymouth and Milton as we gather together to hear God's word. Um, it's, uh, it's always a great thing. We're really excited for this week leading up to Easter. It is my favorite celebration that we do as a church, and uh, Christmas is great. But Easter, Easter is better because without Easter, um, nothing, nothing would have changed. But because of what he did on that cross, everything changes. Everything in your life in the future will change if you yield and surrender your life to him. Yesterday at, at all of our locations and then uh, another location, we were able to continue our farmers to family food distribution. So yesterday, we we were able to distribute 132,000 pounds of food, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and we're continuing now. It's confirmed through April. So this Saturday, we will be doing it again. Um, we're looking to see if there's another truck for, um, for Milton, but it'll be at uh, Dover here in Plymouth. And then we're partnering up with Gate City Church in Nashua, in downtown Nashua for the month of April. So it'll be happening there at 54 Franklin Street. And so continuing through the month, I just encourage you this Saturday, um, if you're able to get to a location, if you're able to get here in Dover and help out to help out, this Saturday, we're gonna be handing out those invitations that you're handing out to everybody who comes through to receive food that week and uh, inviting them to join us the next day on Easter, sun on Easter Sunday. So uh, you like to smile, you're nice. Um, just be here and be a part of it and allow God to use you. And we're gonna see God do some great things. One thing that happened this week as well is uh, New Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire changed their restrictions on churches. So churches now can have 100% capacity in their buildings. So that's great. And um, and so we're you know just in time for Easter. Uh, we don't have to do anyway. It's going to be good and glad that uh, man just in time is we're going to be packed out next week celebrating everything that Jesus has done. Well, we are continuing our series, finishing up our series, There is a Plan. And uh, at various times in history, Christians have been persecuted for being followers of Jesus. And there are times, I mean, it's always been ongoing, but there has been times where it's been extremely intense. And at the time, uh, when the New Testament was written from Jesus' death to, you know, for a couple hundred of years, it was very intense. And during the time of the apostles, 
11 of the 12 were executed, if you include Paul as one of the apostles, and we do. So there are 12 apostles who are leading the church and helping to lead Christianity at that time for, for 50, 60 years after Jesus's death. And 11 of them were executed for being followers of him, but all of them were persecuted. All of them experienced numerous beatings, were tortured, were jailed for following Jesus. And that continued, and it still does continue it is still ongoing. I want to share with you a couple, a couple stats about this because we could forget or, or because we live, you know, kind of in, in rural America, we can, you know, because it doesn't affect us, we don't think that it's ongoing. But over 340, this is in 2020, over 340 million Christians were living in places where they experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination. That is, uh, that does not include us, all right? So any persecution that you felt, we're not experiencing. This is a high level, uh, a lot more than, than anything we've faced. Uh, there were 4,761 Christians killed for their faith. That doesn't mean it was a Christian who died or a Christian who got murdered. That was a, do you follow Jesus? Yes, you have a decision to change that right now or we're gonna kill you. Um, no, thank you. All right, and they're, they're executed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked, again, just because they had a cross on their building or they had the word Christian on their, on their building. And then 4,277 believers, they were detained without trial. They were arrested and sentenced to imprisonment because they preached Jesus. This was... Last year, 2020 stats, and one of the things that, that was uh, originally thought when the world shut down because of the pandemic, they thought that, oh good, this is going to be a reprieve for the Christians in these, uh, in, in these high tension areas, but they, now after a year, they've discovered that the opposite was true, that when the world shut down, the persecutions intensified and the statistic, statistics rose even beyond what, what they've ever seen before. When a Christian across the world or even ourselves, as we, if we experience persecution, it can cause us to ask, it can cause us to say, where are you, God? How could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to us? But even in persecution, there is a plan. There is a plan. In this series, what we've been looking at is from the beginning, before Adam and Eve sinned, God had a plan worked out. Jesus had a plan worked out. And that even in the midst of persecution, Jesus has a plan worked out. He uses all things according to his glory for those who follow him. And he doesn't waste, he doesn't waste a thing. Everything that happens and that we've experienced, if, we, if we're following him and we continue to follow him, he will use it all for his purposes if we allow him to do that. In this series, we've been looking at the places where Jesus appeared in the Old Testament. Before he was born, he was, and he was uncreated. 
It was a decision from him to leave his, uh, to, to, to restrict himself by putting on flesh and becoming one of us. And it was part of the plan that we would be able to have forgiveness and freedom from sin, that we could have the same relationship with his father God, that, that, that we could have that same relationship. It was a plan to get us back. It was a plan not to neglect us or abandon us. The plan always was that we would be his. One thing that we've been looking at is one of some of the reasons why he appeared. Why did he show up to Abraham multiple times? Why did he show up to Moses? Why did he show up to the prophets? Why, you know, why did he show up to Jacob? Did he show up to Joshua? Why did he keep doing it and making all these appearances in the Old Testament? And what we've also been looking at is what that means for us right now. This morning, I want to look at one of the famous passages in Scripture where Jesus appeared, and that is in Daniel chapter 3. I want to invite you to open your Bibles, to open your Bible apps, or to Google it on your phone, Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be in chapter 3 throughout the entire message, so after we read one portion of Scripture... Hold your page because we'll be going back and looking at other verses later in that chapter. There's a lot here to learn. And even if you're familiar with this story, um, and it is a famous one, so you might be familiar with it, my guess is you haven't looked or you haven't heard a sermon, at least not, not multiple times in your lifetime, talking about why Jesus was there. It's often the perspective from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the perspective of, of what Babylon was like. And it was just, you know, often mentioned, even in, in my life, it's the mention of, of Jesus and the fourth in the fire, but, but really begin to understand why that happened and why he was there. So a little bit of background before we begin to read here. Um, this is part of, of a time in Jewish history known as the Babylonian captivity. And what happened when Babylon uh, took over the nation of Israel, when they took over that region of the world, they took 10 to 15,000 of the smartest, strongest, and best looking Hebrew men. They took them into captivity, they brought them to Babylon, and they began a process of, of teaching them in Babylon, reprogramming them in Babylon, and the plan was to add them into the Babylonian political leadership. They're, they're going to take these young men, they're going to reprogram them, take everything Jewish out of them, put everything Babylonian into them, and now their smartest, strongest, and brightest men are now gonna, they're gonna add those into the leadership culture to allow them to take over even more of the world. Part of this reprogramming, and the biggest goal was that all Jewish worship would be gone. Every part of their life and memory and experience as a Hebrew man, it would be erased, and it would be fully Babylonian by the end of it. Their worship of God, their worship practices, their understanding of the law, all these things needed to go. I was 
The main reason why the first thing that happened to them is they, their names were changed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was, that, that was not the names that were given to them by their parents or given to them by God. These were Babylonian names. We're going to change your name. We're going to change your fashion and how you dress. We're going to change your diet. Everything's going to change. At this point, even with all this adversity, even with all this attempt to, to get them to forget their past and fully embrace the culture they were living in now, they were making it through. They definitely Daniel, who was someone they were all looking up to, they were all admiring, they were following his example, but they were making it through. Every challenge that they faced, they were finding a way around it where they could obey God and still keep their captors happy. And they were thriving and they were successful and they were recognized as, as elite, top of their class amongst these 15,000 other Hebrews and even compared to other um, native-born Babylonians. But it came a point where they couldn't hide any longer, and it came a point where they couldn't find another way around the rules that were put in front of them. And that's the scenario that we're about to, that we're, that we're looking at today. They were told to worship a statue of the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And it wasn't like, hey, in your private time, make sure you worship him. It was gather everybody around. Here's the new statue. All right, all, you, you know, 10,000 of you or however many were there. Here's a statue of our king. Now, here's what we're going to do. Bow down, worship it. Here's the words you need to say in worship. Here's the form you need to have. So get to it. And here's three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and there's nowhere to hide at that point. They're in the middle of a crowd where thousands have bowed, and they are still standing there awkwardly. I mean, it's more awkward than in a church service when you're sitting on the front row, and you realize everybody behind you has been, you're standing in the front row, and you realize everybody behind you has been sitting for the last five minutes. You turn around behind you, like, okay, we're sitting now. That was embarrassing. It's more, more, I mean, more awkward than that. And so they're not bowing to the king. And what happens next is they're taking before the king. There's no way, there was no way for them to say, I'm gonna, I'm told to bow down and worship this. King, there's no way around it for me. I can't get on the ground and pretend I'm searching for a contact. I can't use this as a time to nap. If I get on my knees, then I will be disobedient to my God. And so they were faced with this choice. Now here's the first thing that we see in this, in this scripture that we see in even our modern times. Persecution is not fun. Persecution is not something we pray for. Persecution is not something we want. But when persecution happens, persecution has a few benefits. The first being that persecution purifies the church. There were a lot of Hebrew men there. 
who were raised to worship God, but many of them, when they, had, when they were forced to change, they, they changed. All right, I'm Babylonian now. All right, I'll bow down to the king. All right, I'll, I'll eat what you tell me to eat. All right, I'll wear what you tell me to wear. All right, I'll embrace this new life. A chance for fortune, a chance for leadership, a chance for power, I'll take it. That's all I have right now. Anyone, I, I get this question for you, all right? So I'm gonna need you to participate even at our other locations, participate in this. Did any of you ever have a hard time coming to church or deciding to follow Jesus because of someone you met in your past who said they were a Christian? Now, I don't wanna go to church or find out more about Jesus because that one Christian I know because of what they're like. Anybody ever experienced that? Now, did anybody ever think about not following Jesus anymore? Like, hey, Jesus, I'm following you, I love you, but I don't think I can do this anymore because of how another Christian acted. Anybody ever experienced that before? Something that's pretty common, certainly as my, my wife and I, have, as we've invited people to church, uh, as we've invited people to know about Jesus, you know, more times than I can count or remember, People communicate, I don't do that anymore because of something that happened, because of someone that did something. And, and my, you know, I don't tell them this because I don't want to add to it, but as a pastor, I know how terrible people who call, them, call themselves Christians can treat other people. How do I know that? Because they treat me that way. <laughs> um, one thing that we know, and if you're here joining us online, or if you're here this morning trying to give it one more shot. One thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, verse number 21, he said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That means you can have the words of a Christian, you can have the function of a Christian, you can have the look of a Christian, but not actually follow Jesus. And those are the, the majority of the nasty, mean, hypocritical people that we've experienced and that you've experienced are people who are professing that they follow Jesus, but they do not actually. Persecution purifies the church because when all of a sudden there becomes a danger and there becomes a consequence for saying you follow Jesus, then those people who are pretending or those people who don't really follow Jesus will quickly give up that profession of faith in order to protect themselves and so what happens is the, those people who say that they follow, say that they're a Christian, but they don't actually follow Jesus, they disappear. And what happens, what remains are the true followers of Jesus. I met and had a conversation um, a couple years ago of a Christian who grew up in Palestine. His father was a Christian pastor, and he relayed to us um, about when he was eight, nine years old and things were much more tense in that region, that when they would go to church on Sunday morning, as they would enter the building the way you entered the building, there would be people throwing rocks at them. Well, I'll tell you what, you face that kind of a challenge and no one who's pretending shows up to church anymore. Oh, they're gonna hit me with rocks in the face and the back of the head while I'm coming into church. I don't think I need to worship today. I don't think I need to participate today. 
when the challenge is, hey, everybody who's a Christian, you line up over here, we're gonna treat you one way, and it's not gonna be good. Everybody who decides to reject Jesus, you line up over here, we're gonna treat you another way, and it's gonna be positive. People are pretending, switch lines. You're like, wait a minute, didn't you used to come to church with me? Not anymore. And on Easter week, as you'll, um, you know, this Friday, they were, the disciples themselves were challenged with that. One of the, the biggest things is G- Jesus is being arrested. He's being tried. Peter's showing up, trying to hide in the crowd, figuring out what to do. How is he going to help? And this uh, 12, 13-year-old girl says, aren't you one of them? He begins swearing, cussing, I'm not one of them. Because when the pressure's on and the challenge is on, if we're not really ready to follow, we just give up. Which, is the, which way is comfortable? Which way protects me? And it's not really about Jesus. Persecution purifies the church because what remains are the true. What remains are the committed. What remains are those who will follow Jesus no matter what. Bow down and worship the statue of the king or die. Only those who truly love God are gonna do that. So what happens is Daniel chapter three, wanna read verse number, uh, a couple of verses, 15 through 18 for you. Oh, go ahead and scroll down there. And this is, they're standing before the king that they're supposed to worship. And he begins to challenge them and he begins them to give them an opportunity to fix their mistake. Certainly, he has a lot invested in them. He doesn't want to lose three of his best leaders. And so here's a chance. He's going to coerce them. He's going to remind them of what's before them. And he's fully confident he'll change their mind. Verse number 15. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instrument. So he's saying, all right, I'm gonna give you to the count of three here. Three. <laughs> Come on, play the drums now. Two, and the harp and the lyre. One, and the music started. And their response, uh, and he says, if you refuse, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna throw you immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. So guys, make a smart choice here. Just bow down and worship. You're here. It's my country. It's my rules. Your, your, your nation's gone. Your God is gone. I'm the ruler. Do what I say and no one has to get hurt. Do what I say. Just think about what the consequences are. You're going to die over kneeling on the ground. It's not worth it. And I bet you they had other Hebrew friends who were telling them the same thing. It's not worth it, just lay down. Their response in verse number 16 said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. That's a a purified 
church. It's the confidence in God. No matter what happens, something bad, God's in control. Something good, God's in control. We worship God, we yield to God, not based on what he does for us, but based on who he is. Through times of great success or times of great persecution, he's Jesus, he's on the throne, he's my Lord and my savior, I follow him. These are three young men who followed God despite all of these circumstances against us. Second thing that persecution does, we see from their life, is that persecution solidifies us. There's different um, places in the New Testament where Peter and Paul talk about persecution, they talk about suffering, they talk about pain, they talk about trials. And the one thing that they all point to and they all teach us is that when you face persecution or when you face trials or when you face troubles, count it all as joy. Be thankful that when the trial comes that you still serve Jesus because it shows that your faith is genuine. And it solidifies us. When we face a persecution, we're able to know how serious am I about Jesus? How much do I really put my faith and my trust in him? And then it can show us, wait a minute, I guess I really was going to church for that girl because the first time it got hard, I disappeared. The first time it got difficult, I took off. Persecution helps us to answer questions that we, we cannot answer any other way. How serious, I am about Je- how serious am I about Jesus? And right now we're serious, but right now it's comfortable. Will I really follow him no matter what? Do I believe what I say I believe? If we face persecution and we continue following Jesus through that, we know what our faith is built on and we know that he really is our savior. We haven't just adopted some religion and we haven't conformed Jesus into the image of who we want and who we want to worship. Verse number 21, jump down there. So <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is ticked. You read the Bible, I mean, it says his face is distorted with rage. He is angry. And he, he says, hey, the furnace is hot, make it hotter. I, I want this to be bad. So they stoke up the furnace and verse number 21, it says they tied them up and threw them into the furnace fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flame killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. They didn't, uh, no record here of them saying, wait, we changed our mind. No way, we'll bow down. It was just, they knew at this moment they were dead. They knew it. Hey, it's over for us, guys. Love you. Proud of you. Thanks for standing with me. Thrown in to their death. Verse number 24. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, 
Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Verse number 25, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. Look, I see four men unbound. All right, remember they tied them up, threw them in, and here they are walking around. So I don't know what that conversation looks like in that moment. Jesus shows up, their, their, um, you, you know, their ropes are gone, whether he untied them or if they just, he just made them disappear. And then he's like, guys, how many steps have you gotten in today? And they're like, I'm only at 5,000. And he's like, well, let's walk around. Let's get some in right now while we're, let's, let's get double duty here. And they're having a conversation. And here's what I imagine the conversation's like. Jesus shows up and he says, uh, proud of you guys. I'm so proud of you. My father is so proud of you. Had you died, your life wouldn't have been a waste. It wouldn't have been a waste because you would have got to meet my father and and they would talk about you and your courage is gonna inspire some of these other young men not to forget who I am and to quit playing around with this Babylonian religion. You're an inspiration to them. But I'm gonna do, do one better than just allowing you to meet my father today. I'm gonna set you free out of here and I'm gonna put you in a place to begin to teach others about me and to teach others about my father. Are you ready for that? And then they were like, we're standing in the middle of a furnace right now. What in the world? Like, it's just imagine that. Like, who, uh, who are you again? Oh, I'm Jesus. I'm the one who's going to come. I'm the Messiah that, that you always heard about. I'm him. I'm here right now, not in flesh yet, but I'm here right now. And I want you to know there's a plan. There's a plan. And all this captivity, the 70 years of captivity that you guys are in, don't worry. It's going to end. Don't worry. All these things are going to happen. So they open the furnace. They, and then who comes out? Only three guys comes out. That fourth one, Jesus, returns back to heaven. Here's the last thing here about persecution. Persecution points to our Savior. And we think persecution, you know, if we face it, God, where are you? God, how could you let this happen? But you could have remembered, he says, hey, listen, there's a plan. There's a plan. We think that if Christians are killed for following him, that it would make others not want to follow him. But that's not what happens. We think that if Christians are killed, then others are gonna think that Jesus, is, that Jesus is not real. But the opposite happens. Throughout history, persecution has caused Christianity to grow. It's caused Christianity to spread. 
Because, a, because what happens is a purified church represents Jesus well to the world. And even in death, when people see the peace of God that passes all understanding in the hearts and in the, in, in, in the actions of believers facing imminent death, when they say, hey, I'm gonna kill you if you, uh, if you continue to believe, and they say, I could never turn my heart, I can never turn my heart against my Lord and Savior, and then they're executed, everybody who witnessed that says, Jesus is real? I thought he was fake. That guy just gave up his life. He didn't beg for mercy. He didn't scream and cry. He gave up his life expectant that he was gonna meet his savior face to face. I'm gonna believe too. I'm gonna believe too. And it always causes the church to grow. It always causes the church to expand. When someone sees a true follower of Jesus, it always causes them to consider. And when the world sees a purified church and a solidified you, fully confident in who he is and what he'll do in your life, they then choose to follow him as well. When he pulls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire, everything changed in Babylon. He didn't change, but the atmosphere changed Change. He says, let everybody know their God is a real God. And now they had freedom not to bow down. These three guys changed it for the 15,000 others. They didn't have to bow down to the statue. They got a little bit of fr freedom in what they could eat. How do you want to worship? And it was the persecution was Jesus' plan that his father wouldn't be forgotten the Jewish faith would not be lost. So now they were able to practice it and worship it. And when the time came, when Nehemiah went to rebuild the wall and Ezra and Zephaniah went to rebuild the temple and the temple worship, that even after 70 years of captivity, they still knew how to worship. They still knew how to, how to practice the Jewish faith. They still knew who God was. It was not erased. Church, this morning... This series, we've been looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. This week, we're gonna be looking at Jesus in the New Testament. What he did, what he did pre-incarnate, what he did as incarnate gone. But the one thing to always remember, whether you're in a hardship now, whether you face a hardship in the future, whether we ever face persecution like those who faced it last year, whether we ever face persecution like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether we ever face persecution like the apostles did or Stephen did, uh, whether no matter whatever happens, that we'll remember this sermon, we'll remember this series, we'll remember our Lord and Savior risen from the grave, we'll remember there is a plan. Will you close your eyes? I'll invite the bands to come forward. Dover band, you can come up right here. They'll be fine. Um, I want to pray for you, and we want to just pray for God to do what only he can do. You may question right now, Jesus, I don't know if I just come to church because it's what I've always done, or if I come to church because I truly love you and worship you. Will you just... Don't condemn yourself. 
for that. You just pray, Jesus, I, I'm taking it serious right now. I've, I've, I've pursued my own comfort. Every time it gets hard, I get ticked off at you. Forgive me for that. And I want you to pray a prayer like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, you know, a bold declaration. Whether you come and save me or whether I die, you are God. And to live your life knowing he's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's Jesus and he loves you and he wants you and he'll forgive you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this series. Thank you for all of the things that we got, all the, the just a couple of the places where you showed up in the Old Testament, you revealed a part of your plan. We thank you for this week. You know, it says Palm Sunday, and we were celebrating your triumphal entry. And so many hopeful people stood lying in the streets, worshiping you. Hosanna in the highest. Here he comes. Here's our Lord. Here's our Savior. Here's our rescuer. Here's our deliverer. He's going to take over. He's going to deliver us from the Roman authorities and the Roman government and the persecution and the problems. Here he goes. And for many of them, they were heartbroken to see you executed a few days later and they begin to question I thought he was the one I thought he could do it I thought it was going to change but they're, they're, they had their sights too small because that Sunday when you rose out of the grave you defeated something far greater than a Roman government which would dissolve on its own you defeated death, hell and the grave you defeated the grips of sin in our life we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be afraid of. Not a blazing furnace, not, uh, not a, a, a dictatorship, not, not persecution. We have nothing to fear. Jesus, we commit our hearts unto you today. For those who never have, we just pray, Jesus, be my savior. Forgive me of my sins. I choose to follow you. For those who've been just maybe following you, but realize right now they're not really following you anymore. They're just following their flesh and, and what feels good to them. I pray, I just pray that they'll pray a prayer. Jesus, forgive me for putting other things before you, for letting idolatry sleep, sneak into my life. I haven't been da bowing down to, to statues, but I've, been, but, I've been, but I've been bowing down to other things other than you. Forgive me for that. I want to thank you for your forgiveness. And I just pray for Restoration Church. For every person at every location, for every kid at every location, for everybody online this morning, we would be a purified church who, tru who, who truly represents you to the world. Your love, your forgiveness, your kindness, your power, we'd represent you well. Do it in this, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.